Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning as we worship our God together. And the announcements are on the back of your bulletins. They're pretty generic. There's nothing new there. Wednesday prayer meeting, next Sunday, and so forth. I will make mention again that Beth Yaki has given us her written testimony uh, desiring to become a member of the church. So especially you who are members, make sure you pick up her testimony there on the back table. If you have any questions, please see her. If those questions for some reason go unresolved, then you may come and see me and we'll seek to resolve whatever questions you might have. But we certainly give thanks to God for bringing Beth among us and for her desire now to commit herself to this assembly. So please keep that in mind. Well, now let us give ourselves to the worship of our God on this His day. And as we do so, I pray that it is your prayer, as the psalmist prays, that God would come among us. And he says there in Psalm 119, verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep them to the very end. May that be the desire of our hearts. Lord, teach us your truth. Teach us your ways. And then may we be obedient to those things all the way until the end. Will you prepare your hearts to worship our great God? to mention it looks like there's some visiting with us this morning and we're delighted to have you and if you have not signed the guest book please do so it's back there at the back door inside your bulletin is the call to worship it comes from psalm 63 and here in this psalm we hear someone who just yearns to know god better that's the longing of his heart to know God better. And, and the better he knows God, the more he wants to praise Him. And both those things are expressed here in this portion of Scripture. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading found in your bulletin. O oh God, You are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary, 
because of your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. And now let us with our lips give praise to God, taking your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace, number 26, I sing the almighty power of God, number 26 in the hymns of grace. taught us from your word that the heavens declare thy glories and they go out into all the earth and every language hears the voice of creation speaking to us of your goodness and eternal mercies and we thank you O Lord for that and we have come to that place you have brought us to this place because we know that the creation word doesn't tell us of our sin, but in this place, we can hear of our sin and of the way um, for us to be saved by your truth, and we're thankful for that. Thankful that you have brought us here today to hear your word proclaimed. Uh, Come among us um, and teach us, humble us before you, and assist our pastor 
as he brings the message from your word, may it go forth and conquer and grow your kingdom here today. In your blessed name we pray, amen. Now take the Trinity Hymn Book, the Trinity Hymn Book, turning to Hymn 599, 599, a hymn that speaks about the coming of Christ and the new heaven and new earth, which one day we shall enjoy, that is, all those that are found in Christ Jesus. The Trinity Hymn Book, 599.
It is our practice as a church to read consecutively through the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. In the morning, we read through the New Testament. In our afternoon service, we read through the Old Testament. Uh, Today's passage will be found in Mark chapter 13. There are two corresponding um, chapters One in Luke 21 and the other one in Matthew 24 that are almost identical to this chapter. They're, uh, it, it, this chapter's kicked off by one of the disciples making a comment about the temple and, um, the walls of Jerusalem, how beautiful they are. And uh, the Lord gives his response. Now, there are two questions asked um, of our Lord by the disciples, and he answers them both, but in reverse order. And uh, most church historians and uh, Bible scholars recognize that the event Christ is talking about, uh, basically the destruction of Jerusalem and of its temple by the Romans, also, by the way, an idea that would have been unthinkable to a Jew or even the disciples, um, was the period that stamped the end of the Old Covenant. And since the New Testament scriptures have been written previous to that, the New Testament is is being instituted. So as we read through here, um, many different events are written here. There are 12 in Mark. Um, the, uh, Luke brings up 11 of the 12 in his um, uh, uh, writing on this. And then um, Mark or Matthew actually brings up 15 things that happen. And we have to look to the secular historians. We do not have a divine account of the destruction of Jerusalem. So the secular historians, one a Jew named Josephus and the other one the Roman historian Tacitus, uh, describe that these events actually did take place um, prior to 70 A.D. when the destruction of Jerusalem occurred. So follow along as we read uh, through here. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you not see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be thrown down. Uh, Sorry, my version says torn down. The other versions I've been studying from would said thrown down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and Andrew, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. 
For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. One uh, note here. The Christians, when they saw the Roman army enter the land and start to conquer city after city and slay the Jews, fled Jerusalem. The Jews went to Jerusalem to hide behind its walls. But uh, the Christians are told here in this passage to, when you see these things happen, get out. And they did and saved themselves. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or get in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must, turn, must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it might not happen in the winter. For in those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is Christ, or behold, there he is, do not believe. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will um, not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send forth his angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know 
when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge assigned to each one his task also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. But what I say to you, but what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Once again, this morning we seek our God together in prayer. We especially want to remember the ministry there in the Far East. I will refrain from mentioning any names because now we're out in the world. They're watching all over. And um, since we're live streaming now, I'll refrain. But we do thank God for the church and the ministry there in the Far East and want to pray for them. Also, we want to thank God for answers to prayer as Pastor Alan Dunn has returned from Zambia and had a very good ministry there in some colleges and churches in Zambia as well. And also, we want to thank God for the ladies' retreat this last weekend. Many of our ladies were able to go, and all the reports I've heard have been very good. And so we're thankful for that opportunity. And then finally, we want to pray for Jimmy's family. Jimmy's uncle died this past week unexpectedly, and his funeral will be tomorrow. Jimmy's very close to that family, and so we pray that God will meet with them and draw near to them at that time. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, again, how thankful we are that we have the Word of God And we pray that for each one of us it is truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, as we have heard your word read to us this morning, how we pray that we might take heed to the imperatives that are given to us from your word, that we would be a people who are on the alert, that we recognize we live in a fallen world, we recognize that we face temptations and challenges. And Father, we long for that day when all that will end. And therefore, we long for that day when you shall return. And Father, how we pray that each one of us may be found ready for that day. May we not be found as those foolish virgins who were not ready when, when the master came, when the bridegroom came. But Father, we pray that we might be wise, that each one of us may know that we know You through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And that, Father, we long for that day when there will be that new heaven and new earth where there will be no more defilement of sin, no more decay of the body, no more tears, no more disappointment, no more heartache, no more sin. And we thank You, Father, as we have confidence in that day, so might we live in light of it. Father, we pray that we might be diligent in sharing the gospel with those around us, for it is the only way in which man might be prepared for that day. And we thank you for opportunities of the gospel going forth, not only here but around the world. And thank you for the opportunity that we have of 
partnering, part, partnering together with those who are laboring in various places. We thank you for what you're pleased to do in the Far East. We thank you for those who are hearing the Word of God. And Father, we pray that you would watch over them and keep them safe. But Father, we pray that you would be pleased to build for yourself a mighty church, a mighty voice of God there in those countries. We thank you for watching over and caring for Pastor Dunn as he labored there in Zambia. Thank you for his time with the brethren there in that country. We thank you for his report that the church is thriving in Zambia. And Father, we pray that that would continue to be the case. We also raise our voices and give you thanks for drawing near to the ladies as they met throughout this past week, weekend. And Father, we pray that the things that they have heard would not quickly be forgotten, but that you would help them not just to be hearers of that word, but be doers of the word that would have an effect upon their lives for good. And then, Father, we would confess, as your word does, that we don't know what a day may bring forth. We don't know when that day will come, when we pass through death's door. And often it brings great sorrow and grief. And, Father, we just pray that you would draw near to Jimmy's family during these days. And Father, how we pray that each one of them might take serious the reality that it's appointed to every one of us once to die and then the judgment. And that, Father, even through this, you would bring some unto yourself by faith and repentance. So, Father, be with this family over these next days. Draw near to them. Be with Jimmy. Be with his Aunt Judy. May they find you to be their source of strength and comfort and even give you praise for what you've been pleased to do. So draw near to us as we open your word this morning. Help us to take heed to it as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to 396. 396, it is a hymn which is the testimony of many of us of what we once were and what we are now. I was a wandering sheep, and yet God was pleased to arrest me in my sin and bring me unto himself. 396 in the Trinity hymn book.
can be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. For those of you visiting with us, we are in the midst of going through this book together. It is the message of Moses to the children of Israel as they're about ready to enter into the land of promise. As they enter into this land, it was a land that would already be occupied. And the instructions that God gives to His people through Moses is a call for the children of Israel to be a distinct people from those who were already in the land. Their lives were to be different from the lives of the people that make up the other nations that had already occupied this land. They were to be a people who loved Jehovah above everything else. They were to love Him with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. They were to be a people who were diligently seeking to keep the commands, the testimonies, and the statutes of Jehovah. They were to be careful once they entered into the land not to allow those who occupied that land to have an influence on them. Moses warns them not to be influenced by others so that they end up doing that which is detestable in the sight of God. They were warned about this back in chapter 7 in verse 4 where we read these words, They will turn your sons away from following Me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and He will quickly destroy you. And so Moses is telling them, be distinct. Be different from those around you. Now, starting back at verse uh, chapter 19, the focus of their distinction is on the value they place on life. You're to be a distinct people because you value human life. You recognize that man is made in the image of God. Man is the image-bearer of God. And his life is to be valued. And so Moses has been setting before the people how they are to be distinguished from others because of that value they place upon life. And he's dealt with topics such as what happens when you kill somebody unintentionally. And he gives them instruction as to what they're to do when that happens. He's also instructed them with regard to the
preservation of life, the protection of life, and, and what that looks like. He's dealt with the topic of warfare and what happens in a just war where there is killing. And what does that mean for you as the people of God? All these things have to do with the sanctity of life or with the Sixth Commandment. And the Sixth Commandment is this, Thou shalt not kill. Now this morning, we come to chapter 21. And earlier in the week, as I sat at my desk, I looked at this chapter and I said, I'm going to wipe this chapter out with one message. That was Monday. By Thursday, I said, well, maybe with two messages. And by Saturday, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what goes on. But a theme that we find here in chapter 21 is somewhat like what we read in the Westminster Larger Catechism. On the back of your bulletins, I've, I've put the Westminster question, number 135, what is the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? And you see the answer to that question there in your bulletin. The duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any. By just defense thereof, against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, and physical sleep, labor, and recreations, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, reconciled, patient, bearing, and forgiving of injuries, and the requiting good for evil, comforting and succoring the distress, and protesting and defending the innocent. There's a lot there. What is our duty in the Sixth Commandment? Most of us would say, Thou shalt not kill. The Larder Catechism says there's, it's broader than simply the taking of life. And so here in chapter 21, Moses sets before his people four scenarios that they ought to take heed to in obeying this sixth commandment. 
Now let me set before you just the four scenarios that we find here in chapter 21. The first scenario deals with unsolved murders. Verses 1 through 9. And in these verses, it is a call to have great reverence for life. And the people of God were to be distinct in their seeking forgiveness for the shedding of innocent blood. They were to be different in the fact that they would seek forgiveness from God in the shedding of innocent blood. Scenario number two is the disadvantaged woman in verses 10 through 14. And here in this, we are taught to avoid all occasions which tend to take away from the life of any. And they were to be distinct in this way in, in how they treated with dignity those who were disadvantaged. You're to treat with dignity those who are disadvantaged. The third scenario is what I've entitled the vulnerable individuals. Verses 15 through 17. And here we're taught that we need to subdue all passions which tends to unjustly take away life from any. We need to subdue all passions which tends to unjustly take away the life of any. And the way that we are distinct is this, in caring for the vulnerable. We ought to care for the vulnerable. And then the fourth scenario is the rebellious son. Verses 18 to 21. And here we have a case for public justice. And the way in which we are distinct is by pursuing public justice in all wrongdoing. So those are, those are the four scenarios. Now, can you imagine me trying to open up all four of those today? You got, you got some time? <laughs> we'll see how far we get. I don't think we're going to get through all four. But first of all, notice with me in verses 1 through 9, the unsolved murder. Follow as I read. If a slain person is found lying in the open country in the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess, and it is known, it is not known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. And it shall be that the cities which is nearest to the slain man that is, the elders of that city shall take a heifer of the herd which has not been worked and which has not pulled in, has not pulled and pulled in an oak yoke 
And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to the valley with running water, which has not been plowed or sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. And then the priest, the sons of the Levite, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve him and to bless the name of the Lord. And every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. And the elders of that city which is nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck has been broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. Forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of the innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel, and the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven. And so you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Now that's a strange scenario, isn't it? In how we deal with an unsolved murder. We're told simply here that a person is found in the open country lying. The evidence indicates that that person did not die of natural causes. Apparently the evidence was such that this man did not simply have a heart attack or some stroke and died. It is concluded, perhaps by the judges in the city, that this person died by the hands of another. What evidence there was for that, we are not told. Was there a knife wound? Was there fingerprints from hands around the neck? The point is, this person was killed by another. It is the shedding of innocent blood. And the one who's guilty of taking this life cannot be found. It's unknown. We're living in a time in which we see many being killed. We see much shedding of innocent blood. Just two weeks ago, in Macomb County, right here nearby, a 17-year-old girl was left at the side of the road with a gunshot in her head. The 17-year-old had a one-year-old child, and she was discovered at the side of the road. Who did it? Well, we live in times in which there's more possibilities of finding out who's guilty of such a crime. And in fact, after much detective work, it's amazing what they can do now. They've got cameras all over the place that people don't realize. And they were able to trace the car. They were able to trace the person who did it. They were able to find parts of the gun 
that's involved in the murder? That was found out. The guilty party was known. But at first, for a couple days, they had no idea who this girl was, where she lived, and what had happened, except she was killed by the hands of another. Her murder was solved. But what happens when the murder goes unsolved? And God tells through Moses the people of Israel, here's what you're to do. Now, the, the, the major concern here, it's interesting as you read through this, the, the number one concern isn't, it isn't their protection. Moses doesn't say, man, you, you, you scour the place. You find out who did this because how do you know he's not going to strike again? How do you know that's not going to happen? That wasn't the main concern. The main concern was this. Innocent blood had been shed and guilt comes with the shedding of innocent blood. So how are we to answer for the shedding of innocent blood if we don't know who did it? And Moses tells his hearers that God is not indifferent. God is not indifferent when innocent blood is shed. God is saying, that life matters to me. And therefore, directions are given as to what should be done in such an event. We see those who are participant. As you read through chapter 21 and the first nine verses, you see that there are primarily four participants. There's the judges who go out and, and, they, and they look and they look at the evidence and declare this is, this is the shedding of innocent blood. There, there are the elders who are then to obey the directions given to them. And, and, and what directions? They're, they're to see the body and wherever the body laid, they're to look around and they're to see all the cities and which city is closest to the dead body. Now, why would that be? Well, again, we're not given those details. I imagine their thoughts would be something like this. For someone to leave this body here, in all likelihood, this person has come from the closest city. And if this person has come from the closest city, then maybe the one who's killed this person is also from that city. So they are told that they're to measure out they're to measure out the distance from each of the cities around the one that was slain. And the nearest city to the slain man, the elders are to the den, take a heifer. And they're to bring a heifer, heifer to a plot of land. It's interesting that this heifer is only qualified if it's never worn a yoke, if it's never plowed a field, 
God, God's pretty specific. This is what He's to be like. And, and you take Him to a plot of land that has running water. It's not been plowed. It's not been sowed. So, so it's never been planted. And you're to bring that heifer out and you're to break his neck. And then the priests are called upon to bring water and they are to wash their hands over the heifer whose neck has been broken in the valley. And the priests are to pray. The priests are to pray. So here, I know, believe me, I know, all this sounds strange to us. But this is the direction that God gives His people Israel as they enter into the promised land when such an event would take place. So you have the elders, you have the judges, you have the priests, but you have one other participant. Do you know who the other participant is? As you read through this text, who's the fourth participant? It's the community. It's the community all together. For, notice what he says there in verse 8. Forgive your people Israel. We all stand guilty before God. There was this community guilt because of the slaying of this innocent man. Innocent blood being slain. They are considered participants of this sin. This is seen again when we go back to chapter 19 in verse 10 when we have the city of refuge. The cities of refuge. And, and in chapter 19 in verse 10 we read, So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance and blood guiltiness be on you. Right. The whole community is involved. Now again, this sounds strange to our ears as well because we live in a time of individualism. I'm my own man. The Bible sees us oftentimes in communities. And here Moses says, when there's the shedding of innocent blood, and the person who shed that blood is not known, there's the need for the whole community to acknowledge their guilt and seek forgiveness. But wait a minute! I didn't plunge the knife into that man. I didn't do this evil. Why would I be judged? And yet God says, 
when there is the shedding of innocent blood, the whole community stands in guilt before Him and needs to seek their forgiveness. Now, I don't know what that means for us here and now because much innocent blood is shed in our day. And we can't be indifferent to that. The sad thing is that when I told you the story about the 17-year-old that was shot in the head, maybe you already knew about it, but nobody gasped like, oh, no. It's a commonplace. We just shoot people now. You dare not walk in Chicago at night. You, you dare not walk in New York City. There's fear all over the land. And we're not shocked by that anymore. But God is never indifferent to human life. Never. Because man is made in the image of God. And so when this murder goes unsolved, the whole nation stands before God as guilty. And the cry needs to be, as we read here in this passage, verse 8, Forgive your people Israel, whom you redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. That's the proclamation. Forgive us. It should be our concern as a church. And it should be our concern as a nation. With the shedding of innocent blood, Father, forgive us and remove this stain from us. We ought to be a, a people. We ought to be a people who seeks the Father's forgiveness and cries out to Him for mercy for all the shedding of innocent blood. Dear people, we can't be indifferent to that as we live in this land. Now, I'm not, I'm not a one-issue man when it comes to politics. but a priority when it comes to politics is those who are willing to shed innocent blood. They will never, ever get my vote. They can promise me the world. They can guarantee me a $500 rebate check if they get into office. They'll never get my vote. The shedding of innocent blood brings God's judgment upon a people. 
And while we may look and say, listen, I don't support an abortion clinic. I've never aborted a baby. I've never taken my gun out and shot somebody. God can't judge me. He will judge us as a nation. And when politicians... and If you're visiting with us, be patient with me. This is not a political pulpit. I think most of my people would tell you that. But this isn't a political issue. This is a moral issue. It's the difference between right and wrong. And when we have those who are seeking higher office and says to us the way we beat inflation is to abort our children. We have fallen deep into sin as a nation. And therefore, this is as political as I get, but before you go to vote, you better know what you're voting for. And who you're voting for. And what they stand for. And there may be other issues, important issues, that would keep you from voting for someone. There may be someone who's very pro-life, but there are issues in which you can't agree with them on, that you can't vote for them on, and you may not vote for them. But the shedding of innocent blood, God takes very seriously. And dear people, we ought to be distinct from those around us. As we fall on our knees before God and confess we are a sinful nation, forgive us of our sin and remove this stain from us. And we ought to be diligent as we pray to give the Gospel, for the Gospel is the answer. Democrat, Republican is not the answer. Liberal or conservative is not the answer. CNN or Fox is not the answer. The Gospel. The work of Jesus Christ is man's only hope. And so as we come, even to this first scenario, we see here the, the great reverence that we ought to have for life. For life. And we see here that God is a merciful God. God is a forgiving God. As I said a couple weeks ago, I don't know, maybe someone sitting here has had something like an abortion. Maybe someone sitting here has gone to, to prison because of the taking of someone else's life. I don't know. And if that's your case, I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to tell you that God does forgive. God is a merciful God. 
And He'll forgive. As we confess our sins, He will do just that. And so we come to this portion of Scripture where many of the things that happen are not things that we do in our day. No, you know, I didn't bring a heifer here with me. <laughs> Sorry. Some of you may be hoping maybe he's going to break the heifer's neck. What would that? No, that's not going to happen. All right. It's also interesting to note that this is never referred to as a sacrifice. It's referred to more as an execution. And the atonement is made with the execution of the heifer. But then as the hands are washed over the heifer, it is a symbolism of the forgiveness of sin that God brings. That God brings. As the elders wash their hand over the heifer, and as that stain and all that was involved is washed off their hands. It's a symbolism of God's forgiveness. And so dear people, we ought to have a reverence for human life. We read here the final prayer in verse 8. Forgive your people Israel whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. The blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. And then the promise, verse 8. And you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Here's a wonderful lesson. There's only one place. There's only one place where you can go where the guilt and stain of sin can be forgiven. And that's in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. So perhaps some of you sitting here today, you you know you're guilty of sin. It may not be the shedding of innocent blood, but you know you've broken God's law. You know you're not to bear false witness. You told a lie. You know you're not supposed to commit adultery, and yet you looked upon a woman. And you know you're not supposed to steal, and yet you took something that... You know you stand guilty before God. You know that the stain of sin is upon you. You, you would acknowledge that. I, I have sinned against a holy God. How, how can I be cleansed? And there's one way to be cleansed. Only one way. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through His blood. And through His righteousness. We have the promise of forgiveness. I, I no longer have to wallow in that guilt. I, I no longer have to walk around with the stain of sin upon me. But God has forgiven me and He's washed me whiter than snow through His Son, Jesus Christ. So there's no more guilt. So I pray this morning some of you might be here, might run to that fountain for cleansing 
It's the fountain of Jesus Christ. And then I pray that as a church, we'll understand that, that, that God, God values life. And we ought to value life as well. And we ought to faithfully defend life and the welfare of our fellow man. So that, as we shall learn in other scenarios, when there are the disadvantage, we'll be there to help. And where there are the vulnerable, we'll be there to care for them. May, may God keep us from being like that man in James. Remember, James talks about the, the guy who's cold and hungry and, and, and someone comes along and says, well, brother, I wish you well. Hope you get a coat, man. Hope you find some food. That's, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting you find food and, and you'll get your stomach filled. No, no, we ought to be taking our coats off and giving our coats. We ought to be providing food for those that are in need. Helping the disadvantaged, helping the vulnerable. And so while many of the things we read here in Deuteronomy are, are no longer practices that we are engaged in being a part of the new covenant, the principles are still true. Still true. And so with this first scenario of the unsolved mystery, murder, sorry, the unsolved murder, may we have a reverence for life. And may we be seeking God's forgiveness for the sins of our nation. Well, I'm going to stop there and we'll look at the other scenarios in weeks to come. But I trust God will use this in our lives to do us good. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, we give You thanks for the Word of God and the principles that we find in Your Word. And Father, we pray that as the people of God, we would be distinct in this fact that we value all human life. That we recognize that man is made in the image of God and therefore he is different than any other creature that roams the world. Father, we would pray that you would forgive us as a sin, uh, forgive us for the sin of not valuing life as we ought as a nation. And Father, how we pray that you would bring those in leadership to the place where they too will reverence all life. And Father, how we pray that You would have mercy upon us. We, we deserve Your judgment. But we pray for mercy. And Father, how we pray this morning for any who may be among us who are yet in their sin. They've not been washed. They're still guilty before You. Father, how we pray that this morning You would open their eyes to their sin and draw them unto Yourself. May they flee to Christ who alone is able to forgive sin. So Father, You know our various needs. You know us all together. And so we pray this morning You would come.
and have dealings with us as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, let's take our hymns of grace. The hymns of grace, number 490. I mean, sorry, 420. 420. A charge to keep I have. A God to glorify. 420 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing. invited to stay for lunch. We'd love to have you if you can. And then we'll have an afternoon service about 1.45. You are dismissed.